Today's heavy networking features sponsor Palo Alto Networks. We're discussing zero trust network access across the secure access service edge. And if you don't know what those terms mean, here are the real world issues that we're tackling today. One, your network has no meaningful edge or perimeter where you can do all your secure policy enforcement. Two, your apps are no longer served from a couple of data centers that you own. Many of the IT services your company accesses are in the cloud. Three, you as IT are still expected to secure all of these conversations, even though your users aren't in your offices and your apps aren't in your data centers. You could think of Zero Trust Network Access or ZTNA as VPN evolved. Yeah, it's connectivity, but it's also security that's much more serious than authentication and off you go. Secure Access Service Edge or SASE is SD-WAN evolved. Not only do you get an overlay connectivity fabric, but you also get cloud-hosted security services baked in to enforce security policy across the wide area network. Our guest from Palo Alto Networks is Siva Rajasakaran, Director of Product Management. Siva, I think a lot of the listeners here are going to have probably deployed SD-WAN. They're, they've deployed SD-WAN or they're thinking about it, but the, the market's actually moved past SD-WAN now and into SASE. So you, you guys deal with lots of customers that are in that transition, maybe from SD-WAN to SASE. Start with the challenges conversation. What are the problems people are having as they're doing that switch? Let's talk about you know, what is happening today in the world. If you think about it, what we are having is, like you said, users are everywhere. It's more of a hybrid work that we see. Users are going to be working from their home. They're going to be coming into their headquarters. Some would be going into their branch office, retail stores. All of this is continuing to happen. And uh, like you said, applications have also uh, moved from one or two data centers, co-location facilities that used to host those apps have now given way for applications being hosted in the cloud. SaaS applications and cloud-hosted applications are the current way the applications are all migrating. You need to be able to provide secure access to these applications. You're talking about users who are distributed. You're talking about applications that are distributed. And what is the right architecture for you to provide secure access to these applications? That is where Secure Access Service Edge comes in the way. Uh, Secure Access Service Edge is all about a framework or an architecture that provides network and security capabilities that connects the user to these applications in the most secure way. And when you do it, think about this also. You know, you know, we know this. We are in a place where it is not just humans, users, contractors, and partners. There are also devices that are all out there. Uh, how do you allow these devices are connected devices? They are IoT devices. These are virtual desktop infrastructure where it's one machine used by many users. Um, and there are unmanned devices that are sitting out there in an organization. How do you connect these? They all have to be connected to the internet. They would be connecting for updates. They will be connecting for um, you know, sending reports and statistics and collecting metrics and sharing them in one central place. All of this means these are connected devices too. So SASE provides networking and security capabilities that allows both users and the devices to connect to these applications. So this is where it all started. I think it's important to emphasize a word that you brought up already is architecture. This isn't just uh, you know, a hardware firewall, I put it some edge somewhere. This is a whole architecture that's encompassing end users, it's encompassing cloud-delivered services, it's encompassing my on-premise infrastructure. It's it's a lot all at once. You know, that's a great point. So if you think about it, it's not about taking what you got and pushing them and uh, stacking them in the cloud. Uh, it is about how do you very natively provide cloud-delivered security services so that users and devices can get the protection 
and at the same time also leverage some of the edge deployments that you already have. This could be the next-gen firewalls. Uh, this could be other uh, enforcement points and traffic forwarding components that could be sitting in the customer's network, in your network. It is not about integrating all of them and making them available so that you can enforce these policies. It is about, in my mind, the most significant thing that customers that we talk to are all after is, I want to be able to get a single platform-based approach where it gives me an unified experience, even though I may have different enforcement points all around the place. Now we're talking about cloud. So there is going to be an enforcement point in the cloud. You talk about multiple branch offices. There's going to be enforcement points in all of these branch locations. And if you have to manage them all separately, it is going to be a lot more complex. And that is why a single unified management plane and a unified data plane, which gives every customer the ability to have consistent policy, regardless of where the users are, is going to be key. I think there's a bigger point to make here around that, which is for folks that are old school network engineers, I remember best of breed where we used to, what's the best thing in this class of product? And then we'd buy that and put it in our network, no matter what vendor it came from. Now, when we're talking about SASE and all the different security services that we're talking about, there are several different services that have some overlapping functionality and there are complexities to the different policies that you need to apply. And then interactions between each of those security classes that mean if you're trying to go with the old school best of breed approach, it's going to be a lot of difficult integration work to come up with a platform as opposed to the point you were just making, Siva, buying a solution that comes from a single vendor that has already had that integration work all done. I think that's kind of a big deal because we're not just talking about five tuple firewall filtering now. There's all kinds of other security services that are going on in the SASE world. Yeah, exactly. It's not a defightable thing. You have to take into account a lot of context that is around the user and the devices to take those dynamic policy actions. And uh, that's why customer will be in different phases in their journey. That's one of the obstacles that we see today. So each one is trying to go through some transformation. Some are in the phase where they're doing this digital transformation, which means taking their apps to the cloud. Uh, some are evolving in how they would do hybrid work. And uh, some have deployed SD-WAN, some haven't deployed SD-WAN. So where do you start and how do you architect in a way you get that one single platform that provides all the capabilities in the most converged way. That is the obstacle that we see. And that's why from Palo Alto Networks, we have a SASE solution, uh, which pro which is a single vendor SASE product, which means we have both SD-WAN and we also have the SSE capabilities through our Prisma Access. Prisma SD-WAN and Prisma Access combined together gives you the SASE experience that customers are after. And we also truly understand that, uh, you know, not everybody is going to be in a place where they can rip and replace both networking and security and have the Prisma uh, Palo Alto Networks products there deployed and get the converged security and networking for them. That's why we also interoperate with any third-party SD-WANs that are out there. It's more of an easy migration and transition from what they got. So we want to meet customers where they are. So if you're having any SD-WAN solution out there today, and if it is not up for a change or a renewal, no problem. You can get those SD-WAN devices, connect them into Prisma Access. We, we provide uh, automated ways of onboarding those SD-WAN devices into Prisma Access. So what happens is you have all these branch and retail stores with whatever SD-WAN devices that you got. We say you onboard them into Prisma Access. So this is traffic forwarding happening from the branch and the retail stores coming into Prisma Access where security is enforced. So we do complete inspection of all the traffic that comes to Prisma Access. This is uh, inspection after decryption with support for TLS 1.2, 1.3 protocols. And once we are able to inspect it, we are able to detect not only known 
malwares, known threats. We are also able to understand what are the unknown malwares and unknown and evasive threats that we see in today's world. Now, you said this was inspection happening at the edge. This is a Palo box that's in my branch office, let's say, that is connected to my, my SD-WAN and therefore my SASE fabric. There is a Palo Alto Networks box at the branch, which we which is a Prisma SD-WAN box. And there's also one more form factor that we have, which is Palo Alto Networks next-gen firewall with the SD-WAN subscription that can also be sitting at the branch, which does the SD-WAN functionality. And so we got two form factors. One is the uh, Prisma SD-WAN appliance sitting at the branch, and then there is a PanOS SD-WAN that can also be part of the solution. Customers' choice on what they want to go with. And we also advocate that if you want to provide security, you will have to think about what type of enforcement that you do locally and what do you want to offload to the cloud. If you want to do everything locally, then you need to have this big box with all the capacity to process every traffic and inspect every traffic. Uh, Sometimes, Practically impossible to do this in small branches and retail stores. Uh, That's why get the traffic, uh, inspect what you could, offload as much as you want to the cloud. So cloud does the security for you. And so by offloading to the cloud, what you mean is there is a cloud that Palo Alto Networks is providing that has these security services. And I'm using either tunneling or a proxy, something like that, to get that traffic to the Palo Cloud? That is right. Palo Cloud or Palo Alto Networks Cloud uh, is the Prisma Access product uh, that we talk about. Again, this is this goes back to earlier discussion. How do you build this infrastructure that can take all the traffic from all of your connected users and devices and do that inspection in real time and provide security? And uh, we could have done this in many, many ways. We could have chosen to go uh, rack and stack our next-gen firewalls in co-location facilities and call that, hey, that is cloud. That is how we want to deliver this. Or it could be using cloud-native options by leveraging hyperscalers such as Google Cloud and AWS and build it on top of them. So what we did is we chose the later approach, which is Google and AWS have built this massive network and they have built everything in terms of monitoring the instances and giving us the architecture on which we just have to go find ways to run our security processing nodes. The security processing nodes are those microservices architecture that we have we can go run them on these hyperscalers and uh, we get the benefit of all the things that hyperscalers can provide. Uh, the cloud native architecture to provide you the resiliency, to provide you the, uh, you know, the, the interzonal availability if you, if you want to achieve those. And also the premium backbone that they provide so that any traffic that goes through the hyperscalers, it's going through fast high path network, uh, massive network that Google has built. Now think about earlier, we used to have like YouTube videos and we were okay with watching, you know, 720p uh, pixel videos. And that was great. And having to watch YouTube videos online when uh, like, you know, 10 years ago, that itself was a great feeling. Hey, you were able to watch video streaming live or, you know, recorded. But now the expectations are completely different. Uh, you're talking about 4K HD videos that you want to instantly watch. Uh, you know, my kids haven't seen times when they have to stream something and then wait for the content to load and then be able to watch it. <laughs> Sometimes they've gone through that experience where we had to pause the video so that it can buffer and then show the rest of the video content, you know, uh, as fast as it could load up. Kids are not that way today. They are looking for something instant and also 4K. That is the experience our users are also expecting when they're accessing applications. You're talking about private applications, internet and SaaS applications, that instant loading of that application is what they expect. And But as security practitioners, what you're thinking about is, hey, one is user experience. 
The other is, how do I make sure it is secure? So you need to be able to process every content, inspect it for threats, inspect it for data leak, and then serve the content for the user. Okay, so I want to just circle back on a couple of things. One is in Prisma SASE, I'm getting a full suite of security controls. I think we're talking next-gen firewall, cloud access security broker, secure web gateway, uh, malware inspection, data loss prevention. Is there anything I missed? Sandboxing through our wildfire, DNS security, threat prevention, URL filtering are some of the things that we have available through our platform, whether it is next-gen firewall hardware, our software firewalls, our container series, our CN series firewall, or Prisma Access, all of these capabilities are available. They're all delivered through the cloud, regardless of the platform of choice, meaning the form factor that you choose, these functions become available for you. Uh, in Prisma Access, based on editions, you have all of these capabilities uh, made available in the hardware and the software firewalls. You'll have to choose a subscription that you want that will give you this functionality. So the second part of that then is if I am going to run my traffic through a significant number of different types of security controls, you sort of alluded to this by talking about performance expectations. What's the performance impact? Uh, because I'm thinking of the old days when we had you know these big honking security boxes uh, that had lots of CPU and, and lots of RAM to try to do multiple security functions. And if you looked at the data sheet, it was like, it's a 10 gig throughput until you turn on IPsec, and then it's actually four gig. So what has Palo Alto done to ensure that all of the security controls I want or need are not going to impact performance? In the olden days, it used to be about service chaining and process the packet once for threads, process the packet again mm -hmm. uh, for, for malware, for you know data loss. Like every time you have to be able to inspect the packet uh, to and in a service chaining me one after the other to be able to identify threats and data leaks and um, you know other uh, cyber threats that you don't want to see in your enterprise. Uh, that's why Palo Alto Networks, you know, way in the beginning when we started to build this PanOS architecture, uh, we came up with what is called as a single pass parallel processing architecture, which is um, SP3 architecture. It is all about being able to inspect the packet only once and be able to, during that inspection, identify if it is, if there is a malware, if there is virus there, spyware, and also look for data loss and everything all in one single pass. So that is key. And uh, the reason why we need to do this is exactly what you said, which is you don't want to be wasting a lot of time in doing all the security processing. You need to be able to pass the traffic only once and do everything in a parallel way and uh, be able to identify uh, things that you need to allow and things that you need to block. All right, so we, we've talked a lot, Siva, about a variety of different security functions we get, whether I'm doing that enforcement at the edge in a Palo Alto Networks uh, piece of hardware that I own or whether that's happening in the cloud because I'm leveraging the Prisma Access service. What we haven't talked about yet is zero trust and zero trust network access specifically. Uh, how does all of these security functions tie into my zero trust strategy as a company? ZDNA, or Zero Trust Network Access, is something everybody wants to talk about, everybody wants to implement it. That is definitely required uh, in this age where the attacks have become more and more common and the types of attacks and threats that we see are very, very evasive and persistent. So you need to be able to find ways to reduce the attack surface. And how, well, how could you do this? That is through the Zero Trust Network Access approach. What do we do from Palo Alto Networks is you need to be able to identify the user and be able to connect the user to the application that they're authorized to access. Least privilege access is what all starts with. Connect, identify the user, identify the application that they're accessing, and make sure that the user is accessing that application that they're authorized for. Okay, okay. So just stopping right there, 
we have to have user context around that. That That is not IP address and port numbers. That is layer seven awareness of application, user, user context. That is where we're starting when we're talking about zero trust network access security enforcement. That is correct. You have to know the context of the user. You have to know the layer seven application context. And when we say layer seven application context, it cannot be you know FQDNs and IP addresses and port numbers of the application because those things can change and you cannot control access to the application based on FQDNs, IPs, and port. You need to be able to inspect the traffic, have a signature that identifies what this application is. Now, we know this, Ethan. If you, if you talk about Telnet and SSH, I can run them on any different port. So just relying on port numbers to identify what the application is, is not going to make it. So we need to be able to look at the stream of packets and identify what is this application that the user is accessing. But everything's encrypted. If everything is encrypted, so decryption is really key. And uh, we talked about earlier when we talked about the single pass parallel processing architecture where any traffic that can be decrypted should be decrypted. There are always categories of traffic such as government, finance, and you know healthcare, personally identifiable content uh, that requires for privacy reasons, you cannot decrypt them. But for everything else, uh, best practice recommendation is decrypt the traffic, identify what those applications are, identify the transaction that's happening between user and the app. That goes to the next thing that we should do in Zero Trust Network Access, which is continuous security inspection. You got the user, you got the application, you got them connected to both. You got them both connected. Now, user is transacting with that application. How do you make sure that transaction is clean, uh, no threats involved, no data loss involved? For that, you need to do continuous security inspection. What we said from Palo Alto Networks is it is regardless of the application that the user is accessing. Application could be an internet SaaS application such as Box, OneDrive, Google Drive. It could be you know, CNN.com, Yahoo.com type of internet application. You have to be able to inspect it. And also, there are applications that are in the data center. These are private applications, applications hosted by the enterprise. They're not public apps. These applications also carry threat. You know, we all talk about log4j vulnerabilities and uh, you know the attack that happened where the attackers were able to exploit the vulnerability in the log4j component. And we want to be able to identify those and protect against those also, which means you need to be able to do continuous security inspection for private application traffic as well. So there's two ends of that continuous security inspection, though, too. There's the server that is um, being accessed by some user, and then there's the user's endpoint itself. So we're talking about continuous security on both ends? Absolutely, yeah. So that goes to something that I usually refer to as continuous trust verification. Uh, wherein you're trying to verify who's the user, what is the device that they're connecting from, and uh, making sure that the device is compliant with your compliance requirements. Um, so verifying what the device is, and is it being uh, running an antivirus or an EDR, XDR product, and is it up to date in terms of patches, et cetera, is also a key thing to consider as part of Zero Trust. So Zero Trust is, you know, you don't want to give access to anything unless you have truly verified and have confirmed that there is a trust. Like, don't trust anything until you've uh, proved everything and are giving access to it. It sounds like if you're getting device details, there's some kind of agent or, or client on the endpoint? Uh, yes. So there are two ways to do this. Um, one, you will have managed devices. And there will also be personal or bring your own devices or unmanaged devices, as I want to say. Uh, managed devices are devices that are issued by the corporate IT. They have control. Uh, they have admin access accounts into those devices. And for those, we have 
what we call as global protect. This is an agent that can run on Windows, Mac, iOS, Android, Chromebooks, and Linux. You can almost all the operating system and the, uh, the latest and the greatest versions of the operating system that we support there. So these are agents that runs on the machine that can collect the device posture information, and mm-hmm. it can also connect you to Prisma Access um, through either proxy mode or tunnel mode. And there's a flexibility in terms of what you want to use in order to connect to Prisma Access or steer the traffic to Prisma Access. And is that a policy setting, uh, whether to go proxy or tunnel, and, and what apps go to Prisma Access and what doesn't? Oh, yes. There are policies in place. Um, there are improvements that we're continuing to make there because, you know, while we make sure end-user experience is great, uh, you know, practitioners uh, who are listening on this call, they also have to have the best experience in terms of managing this whole uh, infrastructure. So uh, ease of administration is also key. Uh, that's why while we had the split tunnel configurations and, you know, proxy-based rules to define what traffic comes to Prisma Access using tunnel, using proxy mode, we already have something called as traffic forwarding rules. And we're going to be continuing to en- enhance the traffic forwarding role so that it becomes very easy for an administrator to just say in simple terms, what is the traffic that should be steered? Should I use tunnel mode or proxy mode for the traffic? So simple. Tunnel mode, I'm sending it to the cloud. It's going to emerge on the other side of the tunnel inside of the Prisma Access cloud. And then what happens? It's like a pass-through, right? Because it's it's on the way uh, to a destination as opposed to a proxy where it's going to, we know it's going to land on some specific device. Can you compare what happens with the two inspection types? Oh, sure. Yeah. The From the inspection point of view, there is not any difference at all. It is all about how do we steer the traffic from the endpoint, from the user okay. to where the enforcement is happening. This is completely... Uh, how it's completely different from us and other you know, VPN solutions that are out there where unless the administrator writes a policy that says this traffic can be allowed, no traffic passes through Prisma Access. So user gets connected to Prisma Access, by default, everything is denied. Inspection happens, a policy is in place that says if the inspection checks okay, and if there's the right user accessing the right application and they approve themselves that they're connecting from the trusted device, and if everything else checks okay, then allow the traffic. Otherwise, the traffic is going to be blocked, dropped, or connection will be reset. So that is true for both uh, the proxy mode that we have as well as the tunnel mode that we have. I was getting hung up because back in the day, when you deployed proxies for security purposes, the device that was the proxy was probably doing the security inspection as well. It was all in one thing, one physical piece of hardware. There's no reason it has to be that way. If you're just using the proxy to get the traffic to the stack of cloud whatever hardware that's going to be doing the inspections that's that's fine i was thinking too literally siva i was thinking too much like like how is it cabled show me the cable siva and that's that's kind of not the point in this conversation (laughs) yeah and there was also another topic that we were talking earlier Uh, we talked about managed devices unmanaged device uh, is also another scenario you know not everybody is going to use a corporate issued it laptop you know you're in travel you probably are going to use your ipad to connect personal device you know but the level of control level of access you want to provide uh, is going to be completely different for a managed device versus an unmanaged device on a managed device there is if everything checks okay um, administrators will be okay uh, with allowing users to download content onto their corporate managed laptop. Uh, But on a personal device, you do not want to allow those downloads to happen because it's a personal device. Why do you want to download a company confidential content onto your laptops? You can actually imagine now it is same user connecting to the same application, but what they could do will completely change based on whether they're coming from a managed device 
versus an unmanaged device. There's two different kinds of devices. We're talking about managed and unmanaged. I think it was asked before, I think Drew asked, if it's a managed device, that means there's a client, right? So there's there's some kind of a, uh, the, the Prisma client that's going to be sitting on that device, which lets us see all sorts of things and introduce uh, policy enforcement there as well. Can we do policy enforcement on the client? Yeah, you're right. So the and the managed device there's an agent uh, which does the traffic steering, which also collects the attributes of the device, which we call as host information profile. And at the same time, there is also controls you can do to do always on enforcement. Meaning, if the user is not connected to Prisma Access, I want to completely lock down that endpoint and not have that endpoint uh, be part of any network. That level of enforcement we could do. Those are controls that are available at the endpoint level. On an unmanaged device, as you can imagine, no endpoints, no uh, agent there. Uh, but how do you steer the traffic? That's why we have a solution called Clientless. And uh, through that, what you're able to do is users can open up a browser, connect to the Prisma Access, and through that, they will be able to access any published application in a more secure way. It's up to the user to take the secure path of opening up a Prisma Access compatible browser first. There are two choices here. Uh, and if the user is aware of what they are trying to do, they will start with opening up a browser, logging into Prisma Access, establish a session, and then published apps becomes available, they can access it. In some cases, uh, you know, they may not remember to have the session established with Prisma Access first. They'll just directly go to a SaaS application such as, let's say, Box or OneDrive. Sure. They will directly go to Box or OneDrive, uh, but we have controls or configurations in the product that will redirect the user through SAML proxy implementation that we have. So it redirects through SAML proxy to Prisma Access. Now they have to establish a session with Prisma Access. And once they establish the session, they have access to Box or OneDrive, whatever they were accessing. So you've set it up for so that you've got integrations via SAML that if someone is trying to log into a SaaS app a box or you know Salesforce or whatever, they've just got a username and password. They're not coming in on a managed device. Your hooks into SAML are good enough that you can say, oh, I know this user. I want to proxy them through Prisma Access now. So that's that's the mechanism you've set up. Yeah, and that's the mechanism we have. So user goes to the SaaS application. SaaS application says, um, I don't know about this user. They have to authenticate. And that authentication uh, gets proxied to Prisma Access. Now, through Prisma Access, they do the authentication, they establish the session. Now, every traffic from that point onwards to that SaaS application goes through Prisma Access, which means you can do uh, least privilege access, identifying the user, and they get the application context, make sure least privilege access is established. Mm -hmm. Then you do continuous security inspection and continuous trust verification. Okay. So on an unmanaged device coming through this redirected uh, via SAML proxy, I may have fewer capabilities in this application because it's an untrusted device and there's no agent. Correct. You will be able to, based on policies, you can control. Um, so Siva connects from an unmanaged device. He's an authorized user. He got connected. But because they are coming from an unmanaged device, you can say, they can view the file, but they cannot uh, download the file. They're allowed to upload, for example, and uh, they're allowed to uh, join for a meeting, but then they're not allowed to chat, for example. Those type of granular controls. Uh, I'm just giving some examples, but uh, you know, real-world examples are, uh, you know, people know what those real-world examples could be. Uh, granular controls based on the device ownership is what we need to solve for. And that's what the product allows you to do. Okay, so we touched on SAML, then there's another big piece here we need to talk about when we're talking particularly about uh, zero trust network access in a remote context is identity is key here. So it sounds like Palo Alto has to integrate with my 
some kind of directory service with an identity service I'm running? How, do, how does that happen? Identity is, is the first step. You need to have identity. Uh, it's the first step and it is not the end of it. And But how do you get the identity context? You need to know the user. You need to know the groups to which they belong to, uh, roles or membership of the, of the user. And for that, we integrate with the most popular IDP uh, solutions such as Ping ID, Okta, Azure AD, uh, anybody who has implemented SAML 2.0, we will be able to integrate with them. And uh, these are all modern age, you know, new way of uh, doing authentication mm-hmm. and uh, identity access management. There's also a legacy way, like the usual um, Active Directory from Microsoft, the LDAP protocols, the RADIUS, uh, those are uncurberos for legacy applications. All of those are, are supported by Prisma Access. So in summary, it is certificate-based if you want to do so that the authentication is seamless and transparent, you can do it. Kerberos, again, provides another way to do seamless, transparent authentication. These are, uh, you know, Kerberos with uh, the tokens and the tickets that you need to request. And that way, once the ticket gets granted, once you establish your your credentials, the access becomes seamless. I haven't heard anybody mention Kerberos in ages. Those must be some crusty applications. Oh, yeah, these are, you know, you would be surprised. There are many, many customers with still lots of legacy applications still are relying on Kerberos. And uh, that's something which we hear very, very often. And we support Kerberos authentication also. And uh, Active Directory, LDAP, Radius, SAML, um, name it, we support all of them. Now, one more thing I want to add to Drew's question earlier is, you know, these are all integrations you need to go build. and um, And if you have to do this, for a massive infrastructure like Prisma Access, think about this. You're going to have a cloud-delivered service that is enabling a distributed uh, user group across the globe to be able to connect and get secure access. Now, if you want to go configure this in every place, it's going to be really, really difficult. And uh, you know, auto-scaling will happen because the user there will be a surge in user population connecting at some point of time, like 9 a.m. on a day you'll see a lot of users connecting to uh, Prisma Access, and then it'll slowly die down 5 p.m., 6 p.m. Uh, and if you're me, uh, it'll be working around the clock. Uh, so there's a constant traffic load that goes through. Auto-scaling is something Prisma Access supports. We scale up and down based on the load. And when we do that, those instances should be automatically provisioned with all of these authentication identity information so that when the user connects to the new node, they're able to go through it and uh, fully inspected and authorized. So that is why what we have in Palo Alto Networks is a cloud identity engine or CAE as we call for short. Cloud identity engine provides one central way for you to manage all the identity operations for a given customer. So central place where you can onboard your identity vendor of choice. And through that, you not only are able to identify the users, you're also able to get the group mapping. And not only that, through that, we are also able to get any user risk information that SAML IDP vendors such as Azure AD or Okta or Ping ID are able to provide. What we are talking about here is it's not static information. Mm-hmm. It's not static information about the user and the group to which they belong to. There is dynamic nature of the user itself. Users can go from a regular user to a high-risk user based on the operations that they do. For example, I can give a very simple example that I can relate to. For example, Ethan connects from Santa Clara now. And in five minutes time, if I see Ethan connecting from Sydney or Melbourne, it is impossible for for Ethan to do it. Uh, I call this as an impossible traveler scenario. That information is something which Octoping ID or Azure AD can give me. Leveraging those and then 
flagging Ethan as a high-risk user is what we do. And once we put this user as a high-risk user, uh, even though Ethan may have access to you know Salesforce, Workday, uh, Box, uh, because of this high-risk nature of what we saw as a behavior, we can now control what Ethan can do, like what applications he can access, and within those applications, what operations can he do or should he should not be doing. So we can control that level. Those are all essential pieces of zero trust. You have to be able to continuously verify the trust and taking dynamic actions based on that signal when they access applications. Unless Ethan is working on the you know wormhole travel research group, uh, Santa <laughs> Sydney is a problem. Yeah, I, I, I have two follow-up questions for you, Siva. Um, yeah, one, uh, one I want to say this so we don't forget about it, but it's how do we deal with IoT devices or devices that don't have a user behind them? Let's put a pin in that one for the moment because the other question I want to ask is about scaling. You mentioned that if I have a burst of user activity that the Prisma Access infrastructure can scale, which tells me when I become a Prisma Access customer, you're provisioning infrastructure just for me. I'm not on some kind of shared infrastructure. You're right. We don't mix up customers' traffic in one tenant. So what we offer for every customer that comes on board is a completely dedicated, isolated tenant. And what that means is any instances that we bring up for you, you get to enjoy the 100% of the resources from those uh, instances. There's no sharing. You control, define your fate. There's no fate sharing uh, with somebody else. Very important. The reason is uh, twofold for me. One is many customers have this requirement to be able to allow list and deny list based on source IPs. And uh, these are controls that they want to have in their SaaS applications. When your traffic comes to SaaS application, they're looking at, hey, where is the traffic coming from? Is this an IP that I trust? Is this an IP that I know? And then they make some decisions on should they allow or should they have the user go through multi-factor authentication or what is the level of uh, you know controls that they can they want to achieve so they go through those checks if we were offering a shared environment guess what the ip will be shared which means uh, not only your traffic will have the same source ip but another customer of us will also be using the same source ip so it defeats the purpose that is one the second one is, you know, you don't want to be penalized because there's one of our customers on a given day is is overusing or abusing the resources uh, that we have for them. So, um, you know, you need to be able to own your own fate. That is why we give you a dedicated isolated tenant. Uh, it's completely, um, you know, resourced for you. And uh, traffic goes through those instances. You get a dedicated IP for yourself. And if you want to auto-scale, we will auto-scale it for you. And if you want to control when does the upgrade happen, how does the upgrade happen, et cetera, you, customers have the flexibility there to choose how do they want to go through that upgrade process. Okay, so so I'm getting my own infrastructure that's just for me, and it, it'll scale if I need it to scale and so on. So let's go back to that other question, Siva, which was a lot of what we talked about, about how to get people into the system and how we're going to inspect their traffic, client versus clientless and so on. So, so what about those devices that I might want to pass through this fabric, but there is no client. It's an IoT device or something. There is no user, is what I mean to say. There's no human that can sit there and go into the web browser and pull up an app, you know, that kind of thing. But I still want that traffic inspected. Oh, yes, you, you definitely want those traffic to be inspected. And uh, users are not there, which means they will not be sitting there to authenticate, to identify what the device is. 
Um, so there's a big problem there. Uh, how do you discover what those devices are? How do you classify those devices? And uh, how do you know what is the policy that you should write in order to allow traffic from those devices? Those are all challenges, you know, uh, customers are facing. And that's why uh, in Prisma Access, in Palo Alto Networks, we have what we call as IoT security. And what does IoT security give for our customers? It is uh, being able to look at the traffic patterns and and match them against 50 plus different attributes that we have to identify what is this device and we can accurately identify the device to say hey this is a tv a samsung tv in a zoom enabled conference room or this is a voice over ip phone versus you know cameras you can identify those types to the point where you can identify who's the manufacturer or the vendor and all other uh, specific aspects of the device itself going as accurate as you could to identify the device that's only part one of the job because you have identified the device but then you need to know what is this device supposed to do uh, like for example a zoom enabled samsung tv i can imagine that it should talk to samsung so that it can do samsung updates because it is zoom enabled it's probably going to be talking to the zoom server so that it can do the zoom conferences and be able to get some updates through zoom uh, if it is talking to you know Facebook or Instagram, I would question it. If it is talking to a high risk country, I would say, what is it? What is happening here from this device? So you get it. So what we do with our IoT security is through machine learning models that we have, we have already identified for those devices what is an acceptable uh, set of traffic from those devices. So if we see anything which is uh, which is not uh, right we will provide you policy recommendation to say that, hey, these are all the traffic that you should allow, but the rest of the traffic I see from these devices, those should be blocked. So we give you not only discovery of the device, we also identify the right policies that you should have for those devices. We give you the recommendation. All you got to do, review the policies and then say, this makes sense and I'm taking the policy in. And that's how you start to control what those devices can do reducing the attack surface oh I, I i like that but that is tricky that is a thing you have to chase I'm, i just read an article that uh, apple tv you can run vpns on them now and you know so they have more capabilities now they could yeah. be connecting to other places <laughs> and doing things that they never used to be able to do but i get it now okay yeah you can identify the device that fingerprinting is getting increasingly accurate over time and now you with machine learning you have a baseline of what's normal for a device of that type and can build policy around that. That's you know, straightforward enough. Right up until whatever it is in the conference room doesn't work right, but <laughs> the executive complaints. <laughs> I'm curious about on that part about that uh, IoT fingerprinting. Are you collecting any information? Like typically that happens via DHCP to get that fingerprint. Are you working with wireless companies to do that? Or are you just basing it on the kind of traffic you're seeing come through Prisma Access that's being funneled through some SD-WAN gateway? You know, that's the beauty of having, uh, you know, sensors everywhere. We talked about this earlier. You need to be in the cloud. You need to be at the edge. And uh, being able to, you know, have them all interoperate so that you are able to get everything that you need in terms of the context and the signal. And you can do the policies based on that. That's why Prisma SD-WAN, which is the device that is on the branch, uh, it can act as a DHCP relay. Uh, and through that, any any IoT devices that are coming up in the branch, it would be able to identify those DHCP traffic or be able to forward anything else which is proprietary for us to Prisma Access to help us identify those devices. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're absolutely right there. We need some sensors in the branch that can forward 
traffic that allows us to do some proprietary ways of identifying what those devices are. Man, we got a lot of ground more to cover, but we're running out of time. But there are definitely some more points that we want to make here. One, I was reading up on how Palo Alto Networks is delivering SASE and got down a rabbit hole about, about RBI, Remote Browser Isolation. And I started digging in on that, and it felt like it works with um, with Secure Web Gateway is kind of how it felt like to me with what was going on there, a proxy in the middle. I, I should just shut up. I'm asking you. Tell us about RBI. What is this technology, and uh, how does it fit into the SASE stack? So if you think about RBI, it is about separating the content that is being served from the from the web applications uh, from reaching the endpoint. It's all about isolating the session that the user has with this web application so that you are able to detect and block malwares and also detect and block the data layers that could happen. Think about all the contents from your web application that you're accessing being delivered not to your endpoint, but being delivered somewhere else. And you get to be able to see that from your endpoint. That is how you protect your endpoint from this untrusted contents in the internet. So you're saying that instead of the content coming back to my browser on my laptop or desktop and being executed, it's being executed somewhere else in the cloud in a virtual environment. And then essentially screen scrape back to me. So I'm just reading whatever the results were of that process. Yeah, that is exactly how the RBI technologies work. But you know, the way you explain you also, as you can imagine, the contents have to be screen scraped and then uh, pixel painted onto the user's endpoint, which means there's going to be poor user experience. While RBI provides that security for any unknown applications or unclassified applications at that point. For those applications, RBA makes sense. and But for those applications, user experience is not going to be great because it gets delivered somewhere else and somebody is doing picture painting, uh, right. pixel painting onto the end user's machine. So that's why Palo Alto Networks, RBI, we have been working on what we call as a fourth generation RBI, which not only provides you the security for those unknown, new, unclassified application by delivering them in an isolated way in a virtual cloud, we also will make sure that the user experience is, is near native, meaning you do not know that somebody is uh, pixel painting those pictures for you on the screen. RBI, without compromising on user experience, is what we are after. We will be demonstrating this very soon in the uh, SASE Converge event that's going to happen sometime in November. And to my understanding, you're doing RBI uh, in partnership with some other companies? So we have been in partnership with many other vendors like Ericom, Authenticate, Proofpoint. Uh, there are popular uh, RBI vendors. At the same time, uh, we are also working on our native RBI solution for customers who want to have the best-in-class solution available as a platform, one less console to manage and configure. Okay, so that's RBI, one topic that that feels like it needs its own show, Siva. So at some point, maybe you come back and we just have a whole show about RBI, because I, I would love to get into that and, and how that works. Reading up on it, it, it was fascinating. Another thing, you guys are doing AIML dealing with user experience data that is meaningful. In other words, the intent of it isn't just to say, we're doing AI ops and aren't we cool and just you know do some marketing branding, but you're using the data in a way that helps engineers be proactive when problems are detected within the infrastructure. Talk us through that. You know, we've always been using this AI and machine learning models for many things in the product already. You know, the way we talk about this is like precision AI. Precision AI was allowing us to uh, identify threats that we have never seen before, uh, evasive threats that we're always finding ways to evade the security controls that are put in place. Being able to use AIML to identify those threats and being able to block and respond is one set of AI that we always did, and we will continue to do those also. 
Um, additionally, uh, like you said, what we are also focusing on is all the data that we are getting from our autonomous digital experience management and uh, from different vantage points that we have in the cloud uh, on the user's endpoint. How do you use that to be able to correlate and give uh, administrators an ability to identify where the problem is and being able to root cause those problems very easily? That's another set of AI work, uh, which is coming through AI ops or AI ops for with AIDM that we will deliver. One more area of investment which we have been constantly uh, working and evolving is with all these AI capabilities being used by many, many products to improve what they can offer. We will be using generative AI to redefine and simplify how customers are able to use our product, engage with our product for configurations, for getting more data out of the product itself. So that is generative AI. The earlier ones that we talked about are precision AI for security. And then uh, the AI ops for the ADM will be like more predictive analysis to be able to root cause where the problem is and help them to resolve tickets quickly. And then there's a one more thing we wanted to fit in, squeeze it in before the end of the show, Siva. And that was about application acceleration. Um, yeah. So, you know, we can do all of this. I think we talked about this earlier. You have this great product. Uh, you have chosen the right product for the organization. But if it comes in the way of user doing the work, then it people are going to find ways to break away from the system. So you need to have a product that provides the best user experience. There are many ways to do this, talking about doing the uh, inspection at the edge, being able to run many pops around the world so that it gets the pops closer to the user. Even after doing all of this, uh, those are all only trying to look at uh, where is the network latency? How can I be able to resolve those network latency problems? Uh, that is not sufficient. Uh, what we see is, uh, you know, there's so much that you can do at the network level, uh, but there's so much more that could be happening at the application level. Application itself may not be optimized, may not be behaving properly. How do you, after you solve all these network latency problems, if you still have user experience issues, then you know where the problem is problem is going to be at the application level. So that's why we are working on accelerating that experience also so that users, when they connect to the application, they're able to get to this application in a much faster way so that you know they get the security and you get the best user experience. Oftentimes where customers had to make a choice, they had to make a choice between user experience and security. And uh, it was always seen as a trade-off. Do you want the best user experience or do you want the best security for your people? The trade-offs are something which we did not like. And that is why with the app acceleration uh, that you'll hear more about in the SASE Converge uh, in November, on November 15th and 16th, we have a virtual event. Uh, you will know more about this. We are making sure that customers do not have to make this trade-off between user experience and security. You get the best security without compromising on the user experience. That is what uh, we will be delivering. Well, Steve, I want to thank you for uh, joining us today and sharing all of that with us. I, I like the solution. I like it uh, as a much better alternative to be cloud-based than the way I used to have to do it back in the day, sending off a whole stack of hardware that did all of this stuff pre-configured off to remote office. It was the bane of my existence, and uh, being able to do it all cloud-delivered is, uh, is a great thing. To reiterate the SASE Converge virtual event, folks, if you're out there listening, this is happening November 15th and 16th, hosted by Palo Alto Networks. You can register for that at sasseconverge.paloaltonetworks.com, S-A-S-E, converge, one word, .paloaltonetworks.com. Sign up, and then you can get into a lot more of the details of what we talked about today with SIVA that piqued your interest. You want to know more information, that is the place to go. If you go to the show notes at packetpushers.net, we've got links to several articles that dive into things about ZTNA. Uh, there's a zero-trust 
Microsoft Enterprise Design Guide that Paolo published that you can dig into and read. It's about a 70-page PDF with lots and lots of information and more. And our thanks to Palo Alto Networks for sponsoring today's Heavy Networking. And if you're still there, thanks to you for listening all the way to the end, you awesome human. If you ping your Palo Alto Networks rep about Prisma Access or any of their other security products, tell them that you heard about them on Packet Pushers. Packet Pushers is here for you. We are bringing you technical podcasts, industry news, a community Slack channel, newsletters, educational videos on YouTube, and more. Find it all at packetpushers.net. If you're on social media, you can follow us on LinkedIn. We'd appreciate it if you would share the shows that you like there on LinkedIn and then comment as you see our postings go by. We feel that LinkedIn is the best place for us to be, all things considered, in the post-Twitter era. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.